This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! This one goes out to Larry Van Nuys. Who the hell is Larry Van Nuys? He's the announcer of Tic Tac Doe 90. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why did he even have a sexy voice on when he said that? I was going to say, who the f is Larry Van Nuys? This goes out to Larry Van Nuys. You're one sweet son of a. You're one sexy son of a. Larry Van Nuys. Sexy son of a. Episode 342, submission number 892. Tic Tac Doe. Without Wink Martindale. These are the versions of the long-running quiz show created by Barry and Enright that do not feature Wink Martindale. Well, there's an old saying in television, nobody has patented tic-tac-toe, or knots and crosses for our British viewers. Until somebody had an idea in the 50s, and when I say somebody, I of course mean the legendary game show production team of Jack Barry and Dan Enright. In their heyday, they developed a show that blends tic-tac-toe and trivia. And it was one of the biggest quiz shows to air in both daytime and primetime in the 1950s. We all know what happened at the end of the 1950s. Yes. That would be the uh, game show scandals that brought down their entire empire. But I gotta say, the 1950s version, there is like an episode or two on YouTube, and let me just say, it is so rigged. It is so obviously rigged. It's more rigged than watching a New England Patriots game with Tom Brady as quarterback. Yeah, yeah I went there. But given time and the resurgence of the Barry and Enright Empire with the uh, green lighting of the Joker's Wild in 1972 and its subsequent syndication in 1977, we have an opportunity to revisit that particular format. And who do they get to host that particular format in the late 70s through the mid-1980s? The one, the only, Winston Conrad Martindale. And it was fantastic. Yep. Although I will say, the Tom McKee run of Tic-Tac-Doe, that made the show right there. That's what people were talking about. They weren't talking about who shot JR. They weren't talking about who is Maude getting up with. They were talking about Tom McKee and is this guy even human? And is this guy ever going to lose? Well, yeah, for those who don't know, Tom McKee, he was like the Ken Jennings of 1980. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, 43 straight wins. 43 straight wins and 
God, I don't even remember how much money he ended up winning. Somewhere around the range of $310,000, if I remember correctly. It was over $200,000 in cash. In total prizes, $312,700. And the record stood until Michael Shutterly won half a million on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah, in 1999. But we're not here to talk about that. Because we always believe that a good format does not die. A good format is enhanced and expanded upon. But you gotta have a good host and a good product. You can file these ones under God bless them, they tried. But before we get into the hosts with the most... Let's review how the game is played. The object of the game is, obviously, to get three of your symbol across, up and down, or diagonally. With every question you answer correctly, and two players will alternate trying to put their symbol on the board, money goes into a bank. The first player to get their symbol either across, up and down, or diagonally, wins all the money in the bank and goes on to A, face a bonus round, or B, face another challenger, depending on what version. Again, we're just going to revisit Tom McKee real quick. If you are tied, if no player can reach three in a row, you play another game. With A the same bank from before, or B, a new bank with double stakes, again, depending on the version. In 1980, this led Tom McKee to win a game worth $36,800. Whoa, whoa. Suffice it to say, that was drama. Yes. Now, of course... We reached 1985, and sadly, Wink's run comes to an end because I guess what? He's tapped to host a new show for Merv Griffin? Not just any show. It's a show of his own creation. Oh. Yes. And it would be uh, shot at uh, Merv Griffin's Celebrity Theater. A show called Headline Chasers, which is a subject for a future entry. Yes, so they had to replace, sadly, Wig Mortendale. So who did the people at Barry Enright replace him with? It's got to be a great host, right? It's got to be someone dynamite. Someone solid. Someone with great stage presence. Oh, yeah. A man of the people would be a big plus. I'm sure this host is going to be terrific. Who's the host? Some guy named Jim Caldwell. Wait, are you talking about the Jim Caldwell that was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and the Detroit Lions? No. Oh. No, Jim Caldwell would be the pride of Akron, Ohio, with that impressive haircut who, in his later career, would go on to be quite the pitch man. Yeah, well, he's no Joe Fowler. Who is? Who is? Because, as we all know, 
King Arthur, he would not be very proud of this version of Tic-Tac-Doe. Mike, you obviously have something you want to say here because you're oh, trying to stifle a laugh here. Hold on, hold on. But they just showed a shot of the Jaguar on the NBC game. Now I can't think of anything but the Speedo. Why? Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to stifle my laughter because in my mind, when you're talking about Jim Caldwell, I'm thinking he's like a poor man's Joe Fowler. And really he is. We we talked about infomercials from the 90s not that long ago, probably in the last three months or so. And there's one that I remember with Jim Caldwell, and this is from the 90s, I believe, uh, later in the 90s, was some additive to motor oil or engines that had like better viscosity or something. It was good for engines. You got good velocity, good RPMs and stuff like that. I just remember during this commercial, he went to some sort of, I don't know if it was a garage or a laboratory. I think it was a laboratory. And they were watching like the number of RPMs the engine was going through uh, over time in this experiment. And I remember him just getting like really happy, like 100, 120, 140, 190, 210, 250, 290, 330, 335, 330, 350. I don't know if it was like 350, but that's the thing that comes to mind when I think of Jim Caldwell is that motor oil additive commercial. So out came the oil. It wasn't long before the tension began to mount. Should temperature be going through the roof? Should the engine have seized already? Not under normal circumstances. It close. Severe engine damage would have happened by now. Already. Yes. The fact that it's still running and still seems to be in operative norms, what does that mean? The Duralobe is uh, obviously has attached itself to the engine components and still protecting it. As we claim. As the manufacturer and the Duralobe Corporation uh, claims, yes. Oh, here's our oil pressure right here, and it's only got a half a quarter or so in there. We're down to 20 pounds of oil pressure. What should normally be there? Right now, about 60 pounds. 50 to 60 pounds would be normal. We're running at 2,000 RPM, and we're down to 18 pounds of oil pressure. Right now, normally, I'd be in a panic situation. I'm starting to get a little, you know, getting nervous here. Randy, the rest of the oil is coming out slow. It's still coming. What do you think we have left? Uh, virtually empty? Virtually. All right. What I think we ought to do right now. He's running the RPMs. We're up to already 2,700 RPMs. Watch it, folks. What do we got? You got any load yet? Oh, we got a lot of load, Jim. We're up to 120 horsepower. 139, 160, 185. What, 246, 240, 224, 254, 260, 292, 302, 348, 409, 
Folks. He was physically on the floor. <laughs> Paul, get in here, Paul. Come out of here. Paul, this is the gentleman right here. Paul, what's your last name? Grimmer. Paul is the actual owner of the engine who was the man that was emptying the oil. What are you thinking right now? <laughs> Somebody tell me what happened. What did it do? 525 horsepower with no oil pressure and no problem. Come on. <laughs> Am I right? Serious. I'm serious, man. There, there was no oil pressure. There was none. There, there was none. All I can say is, it works. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. How we felt that maybe, maybe. Well, you know, before we finish up here, folks, oh, Rob, get it. What do you think? What's your, what are your thoughts on this? You men, you've been driving right drags for thirty just years. Can't believe it. It would save more motors. It's unreal. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. I was scared, but <laughs> I can't believe it up together. We made an average of ten horsepower more with door with uh, without anything, <laughs> without any oil. <laughs> Paul, what are you thinking right now, man? I mean, you've seen the Here's facts. the oil pressure. You were the one taking the oil. Is that Was that engine empty or not? <laughs> it was empty. <laughs> there was nothing left. Nothing. For a moment there, I thought you were talking about the uh, figure skater who was strapped to the uh, sort of uh, rotary thing that made her spin multiple times from uh, that one episode a couple weeks back. I got a question. How great would it have been if Jim Caldwell had done an infomercial with Don LaPrey? Talking about this tiny classified air. 100, 150, 200, 250 tiny classified ads. I started out with tiny classified ads. $150, 200, 300, 400, $500 for these tiny classified ads. When Jim Caldwell hosted Tic Tac Toe, obviously. He had some incredible shoes to fill. And if you ask me, I think that sort of got inside his head. How so? No, you, no, 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 I'm, no, I, no, there's no how so. I'm disagreeing totally. He was an incompetent boob. Oh, yeah. He was not good at all. And can we say... <laughs> My main complaint with the Jim Caldwell run, okay? Here's my main complaint. Okay. Right when every show starts, when we get into the game, and of course, he has to mention that the red boxes are special categories. Jim, we've watched this show for seven years. We know the red boxes are special categories. Why do you have to tell us this? We know. Why do you have to tell us this like we're dumb? Why? I guess I'm playing devil's advocate this evening because I think he was doing it just so that the contestants are absolutely sure about those. And also probably to tell himself that the red boxes are of great importance and we will get to explaining them when we get to them. Well, guys... There's a couple of moments that stick in my mind. And this did air on reruns on Game Show Network over 20 years ago. It was like 2000, 2001. Yeah, because I remember when I found out the news that they were airing this. Now, I didn't have GSN at the time. Oh, this is going to be a hilarious story. 
You know how I found out that GSN was airing the Jim Caldwell run of Tic Tac Doe? How was that? I found out at an internet cafe in the Bahamas. <laughs> Greg was on a cruise. That's do you remember was. internet cafes? I do remember internet cafes. They used to be the bomb. Then they sort of kind of fell off. And in their place, you have the uh, internet business cafes, where the only business that was being run was of the business of playing games with phone cards for money. And those still exist. There's a couple of those down the street from here. Oh, really? Yeah. Those phone card places. All right. Now that we know the origin story of how Greg found out that uh, the Jim Caldwell era of Tic-Tac-Doe was airing on GSN, I want to share with you some of the things that I remember that happened. And and this really does show, I think, how incompetent, maybe not incompetent, but just how lackadaisical Jim Caldwell was. This would have been like in the first week or two, Jim Caldwell's reading a question about Jimmy Durante. And the key bit of information was his schnozzola. Okay. Because yeah, he had a big nose. Greg, you're muted. I can't hear you laughing. I want to hear you laughing. Okay. Thank you. So, so the question had to do with, uh, with uh, Jimmy Durante. I think the answer was Jimmy Durante. And uh, the question involved his big schnozzola. And I'm not kidding. Jim Caldwell read the question and he said, this actor with a big schnozzola. And you hear the, the producer or somebody come over the speaker. That schnozzola, Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. The big sh- the schnozzola. <laughs> the the, uh, the uh, disembodied voice uh, known far and wide as Skippy Trebek, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have a Shinzoa, Jim. Cha cha cha. But another one, and this could have never happened on the Wink version of Tic Tac Toe. So they're playing the game as normal, and whomever got the question right, they got their square. And you know, Jim would usually say, and now we're going to shuffle the categories. Jim totally forgot to tell them to shuffle the categories. And he just said, hey, pick a question. And the contestant actually said, uh, don't you have to shuffle the categories first? <laughs> okay, maybe Jim Caldwell was an incompetent boob. Let's get started with a new game. Now, the last time we were in the middle of a game when uh, time ran out, and uh, let's take a look at the categories you were both playing with. We had second jobs, three to win, general science, comic books, plays, take two, faces, trivia dare, and sleuths. And, of course, those red boxes mean that those are special categories, and I'll explain those when we come to them. Let's take a look at how the board looked when we left off. There were uh, two X's and three O's, and the pot was worth $1,100. It's time to shuffle. Diane, why don't you go ahead and get us started? You're the champ. Are those shuffled already? Well, I don't think they are. Let's do it. There they go. Now it's time to select. So yeah, they did shuffle the categories, then play resume. See, that wouldn't fly in 2023. Somebody makes a mistake. They get called on it. 
they just do it all over again and they edit it out. It just goes away. We just pretend it didn't happen. Well, apparently it's live, pal. Live, pal. How do you address those skeptics? Well, the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. Well, Well, that's why back in the 80s and 90s, it was a much more fun era. There could be mistakes and they'd keep them in generally. They wouldn't re-record bits a dozen, two dozen times until they got the cadence right or the, the timing was in perfect sync. Oh, no. Stuff happened. Mistakes happened. It's going to either end up on the cutting room floor or it's going to be in the show and people are going to laugh at us. Not nowadays. But, yeah, those are some of the memories I have of that show. The Shinozola and not shuffling the categories. Oh, hold on. Mike, speaking of mistakes, this is CNN Breaking News. As wait, 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 section fourth? Yes! What? Are you <laughs> kidding me? As He's messing up the spread, y'all! As we're recording this, the Chargers-Jaguars playoff game is going on, and Trevor Lawrence just threw his fourth interception of the first half. If you're listening to this uh, on the podcast, anytime we have breaking news of the rest of this episode... Trevor Lawrence threw an interception. Just telling you ahead of time. So Trevor Lawrence he, throws. Hold on, I got a joke. Trevor yeah. Lawrence throws an interception. Hilarity ensues. If you're a Chargers fan, so, so we're at four now, and it's what early second quarter? Yeah, middle second quarter. Oh, okay. So he's on pace for about ten or eleven at this point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like hilarity ensues. Then we go into Susan St. James saying, "Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh." And then after six, we go to Corky saying, "You won't believe what happened." And when we get to lucky seven, here comes Susan Waldman. Oh my good goodness gracious! Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. And remember, kids, you've heard it here first. Well, I think at this point, Trevor Lawrence, the only way he could screw up the game more is if you forgot to shuffle the categories. <laughs> well, look at it this way. At least Trevor Lawrence isn't mentioning the guy he replaced over and over and over. Or at least he's not mentioning how great Leonard Fournette was over and over and over. Or how great Blake Bortles was. Over and over and over. I think you're actually segueing me into something else I want to add about the Jim Caldwell version. Because on the final episode, for some reason, and mind you, this is 1986. This is a full year after Winkleft and a full, like, Six years after what I'm going to mention happened, five years after what I'm going to mention happened, the show actually ended its run for the series with a tribute to Tom McKee. They showed Tom McKee highlights when Jim Caldwell had nothing to do with Tom McKee. That's almost like saying, let's show highlights of Chuck Forrest on Jeopardy in 2023 when Ken Jennings had nothing to do with the Chuck Forrest run. Just doesn't make any sense. And also, I think it may have made a little bit of a difference. Maybe if they increased the technology a little bit. Because if you watch Tic-Tac-Doe in 1985 and 86, 
it's still using the same technology it used back in 1978. And meanwhile, you're now in an era of Jeopardy with 30 monitors, a big display, a big array of monitors. And they're still using that old computer font where Jeopardy has these better fonts, if you will, not so digitized looking fonts. They did give the set an upgrade. It didn't have the wood grain anymore. It looked more contemporary, but the computer technology was still lagging, or at least lagging compared to what you had available in 1985. I got a question. What kind of computers did they use the monitors for? Were those Apple IIs? Yeah, those were Apple IIs or Apple IIes. Yeah, some sort of Apple. Okay, because that wouldn't... Yeah, because the Commodore would have just been like VIC-20 at this point when it premiered, right? No, in 85, no. There were Commodore 64s in 85. I, I know, but I'm talking about when Tic-Tac-Toe began in 78. Wouldn't the VIC-20 have been out by then? No, I think that was like 81. Okay. Because I know we got them in school in second grade, so that would have been, uh, for me, second grade, that would have been 81, 82. Uh, VIC-20s, I don't think were... Uh, around anywhere near 78. Even like the TI-99, I don't think would have been around uh, at that time. And not to play devil's advocate again, but Apple IIEs seem to be um, easy to program for Barry and Enright game shows. And doing a quick search, VIC-20s came out in 1980. Oh, okay. So, so, so yeah, you may have been limited by the technology to, to using just apples in 1978 but yeah i mean they, they could have upgraded it they could have added more flair they changed the set i mean the set looked really nice the the 1985 set with jim caldwell but again you're using this older technology they needed to get with the times i think and maybe it's at this point where maybe well jack berry was deceased at this point so it was dan enright presumably by himself or with uh, whoever's left over at Barry and Enright at this point, maybe they're just like, you know what? We have the stations on board in 1985 and 86, and we're just going to slowly fade out. Because again, Joker's Wild, it's a relic from the late 70s, early 80s. Did they really do anything to update it? They probably went back a step or two because Bill Cullen slowed the pace of the game down to a halt. This is CNN Breaking News. The Jaguars just buffed a punt return. Oh, God. So that's five turnovers for the Jaguars. And this one wasn't even Trevor Lawrence's fault. Oh, boy. Okay, so... The Jaguars is like a B-plot to what we're actually here for, but I'm here to hear how bad the Jaguars are doing, even though I'm sort of a Jaguars fan when I'm not a Browns fan. My sympathies. Well, I liked the Jaguars when the Browns weren't in existence. Oh, yeah. well, Because I used to live in Jacksonville, so. Yeah, Tom Coughlin was good. I've got an excuse. Yeah, Tom Coughlin was great those years. Oh, Tom Coughlin and, and, and Mark Brunel. Oh, yeah. Fred Taylor. Yeah. So as I was saying, Tic Tac Doe and Joker's Wild, they were just like two relics, and I'm sure uh, after 85-86, they're like, okay, uh, we really like to severely ramp up the games, make them more technologically advanced, do something to get the eyes, but 
But unfortunately, all those eyes had gone to the Jeopardies and the Wheel of Fortunes, and it was probably just a lost cause. Just might as well just fade off into obscurity. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up because 85, 86 would just be the rise of the duopoly that is Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Because if you remember, Wheel of Fortune was in syndication on 1983. Jeopardy was in syndication in 1984 and then somebody got the idea to pair the shows together and they've been an unstoppable harbinger of prime access success ever since it's mostly the abc o and o's that are uh airing jeopardy at seven to eight five more years five more years i'm just watching greg i'm waiting for him to break in with the Jaguars throw a fifth interception. Now Herbert has the ball right now, but there's still four minutes left in the second quarter. There's still plenty of time for Trevor Lawrence to throw interception number five. Oh, by the way, something we didn't talk about earlier. We talked about the 50s version of Tic Tac Doe briefly. We didn't talk about the CBS version in 1978, which predated the syndicated version. Yeah, but that had wing too. Yeah, it did. It had wink, but the thing is, the game was a little different. And also, obviously, it only ran for like 13 weeks. Maybe as a preview for the syndicated version, possibly, because it aired in spring, summer of 78. Just throwing that out there. I know this is all versions of Tic-Tac-Doe without Wink Martindale, but I think we at least need to acknowledge that CBS version because it did not last very long. All right. Yeah. But let's get into the other real reason why we're doing this episode. And oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, now we got to get into the 1990 version of yeah. Tech Tech Somewhere somebody was looking at Jim Caldwell and saying, surely a guy we could get to host this show in 1990 could not possibly. Be worse than Jim Caldwell. Yeah, because Jim Caldwell would be hosting Top Card, right, at this time? And he would be doing a damn fine job of it, if I must say so. Yeah. Dan Enright was like, hold my beer. In a moment, the game that intrigued the nation. In a moment, the game of strategy, knowledge, and fun. In a moment, tick, tack, dough. And now, our host who is going to guide us through the next 30 minutes of Tic-Tac-Doe, let's meet Patrick Wayne! I I just wanted to comment on something uh, you mentioned uh, while the Open played. You were talking about the game that captivated a nation? Well, it did. I mean, back in the 50s, with the rigging, which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But also, remember, the Wink version plus the Caldwell version, it ran for eight years. Yeah. Well, I don't think it, like, captivated the entire nation. I know Tom McKee captivated the nation. He did, but it was like, eh. They ran that story to death in 1980, man. So it captivated the nation in some regards. Maybe it didn't captivate the nation in, like, 1984, but it captivated the nation in 1980. 
Yeah. Tamaki was like a bigger story than Kit Salisbury probably was. Never thought you'd hear a Kit Salisbury mention on this podcast. But we're not here to talk about Kit Salisbury or Wink Martindale or Tom McKee. We're here now to talk about the 1990 version. Oh boy, where do we start here? Well, let's start with the host. Who did they get to host this? Surely this host has to be better than Jim Caldwell. So who is it? Well, he never had an infomercial for Duralube. At least I don't think Patrick Wayne did. Hold on. Patrick Wayne hosted Tic-Tac-Doe? He hosted Tic-Tac-Doe, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have an idea of what would happen if his dad was alive. Oh, no! Oh, God. Hey, pilgrims! It's my son, the host of Tic-Tac-Doe! Happy Thanksgiving, pilgrims! Wouldn't it have been just absolutely amazing if on the Thanksgiving 1990 episode of Tic-Tac-Doe, the ghost of John Wayne appeared and did that? Hey, audience, all four of you watching, that's my son, Patrick Wayne, who's hosting Tic-Tac-Doe Pilgrims. <laughs> Too bad Family Guy wasn't on the air in 1990. You could have had Seth MacFarlane as Peter Griffin doing it. <laughs> So yeah, John Wayne's son, Patrick, was host of Tic-Tac-Toe for some reason. Based on reading uh, some books, specifically, I think this was in uh, Bob Eubanks' autobiography, Patrick Wayne was actually like one of the finalists to get the Card Sharks hosting job in 1986. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if he was ever considered for the nighttime job, but Patrick Wayne was one of the finalists for the uh, the Card Sharks job for uh, for CBS in '86. But also, he actually did host something before this. Oh, what would that be? Well, it's not a game show. I'll just straight out say that it's not a game show. But he hosted a variety program called the Monte Carlo Show in 1980. Ooh, the Monte Carlo Show. The Monte Carlo Show. And I think we've talked about this in the past because, and I know, Greg, it sounds like you've never heard of the Monte Carlo Show. I, I don't blame you. It didn't air that long here. It had a little bit of popularity in Europe and in uh, Great Britain, so much so that Benny Hill actually spoofed it. The oh. Monte Carbo- the Monte Carbolic Show. Oh, the Monte Carbolic Show. Oh, gotcha. Yes, and Benny Hill actually played Patrick Wayne. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Hey, I gotta say something. If I want to watch something involving Monte Carlo, I'll watch the movie Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo with Dean Jones and Don Knotts. Because, as we all know, Greg is a low-key Disney fan. There's nothing low-key about it. Greg's a big Disney fan. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, Keenan Wynn played Alonzo P. Hawk in Herbie Rides Again with Ken Berry and Stephanie Powers. And you know what else Keenan Wynn was responsible for? Yeah, he invented the Super Train. That's right. Okay, so going over 1990s Tic-Tac-Toe real quick. 
Gameplay was essentially identical to the 70s slash 80s slash 50s version, except in the case of a tie, we clear the bank and double the stakes for the next game. What? And, yes. That's insane. Why would they do that? Money saving. I don't know. And also, because those buzzers would look out of place, meanwhile, we shuffle the categories, but the players stop the board with their buzzers. What? The players stop the board with their buzzers. That is dumb. Why that would... is dumb. Why would they do that? Because otherwise, if they're not playing a red category, they would just look out of place. But Patrick Wayne is basically a textbook case of a guy who is trying way too hard. Like, let's just say you are playing a category that would block your opponent. You answer the question correctly. What does Patrick Wayne say? You block! And let's just say, for argument's sake, you managed to get three in a row, whereas Wink would say, correct for tic-tac-toe. Patrick Wayne, because he would say this. You win! Again, trying too hard. But that's just small potatoes compared to what they did with the Beat the Dragon round. They're basically taking the uh, CBS-era bonus round and adding an extra MacGuffin, if you will. They solved the dragon, which, because this is 1990, learned how to rap. But they also have a dragon slayer. Oh, that's great! A dragon slayer! They now have a dragon slayer now, so they got a hero to go with the villain. They have a hero to go with the villain. Okay, well, surely he's not going to rap, too, right? He is also going to rap. What? <laughs> so, you have a rapping dragon, you have a rapping dragon slayer, the object is to get three of your symbol in a row, and if you can't do that, the only way to win is to find the dragon slayer. Wait, but, so all you gotta do is find the dragon slayer and the game's over? All you have to do is find the dragon slayer and the game is over. So I don't get, what's the whole point of getting tic-tac-toe? See, you get your choice of symbols. You can either pick X or O. And all of the symbols are jumbled up, and you have to stop it using this incredibly phallic-looking trigger device. And... <laughs> which lights... Oh, which wait, did you... Wait, time out. Did you say a phallic-looking device? I looked up... I set up phallic-looking trigger device. He did, device. yes. Charles? That's a penis. Oh, my gosh. My court will be on the air by the time this is this is playing. Suffice it to say, they put it on the air, and it sank like a stone. Oh, it sucked. Yeah, nobody wanted to see this. You know what? Joker's Wild 90, it was cursed. But you know what? At least that was decent. Tic-tac-toe, no. Yep. After the first 13 weeks, on December 7th, 
ITC Domestic Television notified its 70-plus client stations last week that it is discontinuing distribution of Tic-Tac-Doe effective March 8th, marking the first of five struggling rookie game show strips to officially get the axe. A spokesman for WLS-TV Chicago confirmed that the ABC O&O has anticipated following the sweeps, pulled the Challengers, which was another game show that was struggling in that era, from its 3 p.m. slot and has replaced it with King World's Inside Edition, effective December 3rd. While saying she was unaware of the WLS defection, a spokeswoman also said she did not know of any other Chicago stations that were being pitched to pick up the show. So, yeah, December 7th was the final episode aired. There was no mention of it. Everybody assumed that it would be back for more in the springtime. It was not. And, in fact, later that fall the shows that did air on syndication would wind up on USA Network's game show block. So you get to witness the horror a second time. By the way, that article was from the December 10th, 1990 edition of Broadcasting and Cable. So ITC pulled the plug in December, and Dan Enright, who, by the way, would be the sole proprietor of Barry and Enright Productions at this time following the death of Jack Barry, didn't even bother to find another syndicator to continue it. One thing about this show, guys, that I think sort of spelled doom, and I'm sure you've either heard this or seen this, you know they did a week of tic tac Doe with divorced couples facing each other. Oh, God, I remember that. (laughs) Oh, God, I remember that week. The jokes write themselves. Greg's laughing. (laughs) You have an ex-husband going against an ex-wife. Did they really think this is going to work? Hold on a second. I have an idea. What would have happened if one of the couples, like, in an argument, they get in an argument, and then... They decide, let's passionately make out in front of everybody in front of the studio. If this was the Jim Caldwell season, they would allow it. But in 1990, they probably cut it out. So actually, Greg, talking about uh, that tic-tac-toe divorce week, if that happened, that really would be a week of exes and oh's. Good night, everybody. And it's too bad it wouldn't be 30 years later because you know who would have sponsored it. <laughs> what the hell is that? That's eugenics. <laughs> so divorced couples, just because they're divorced doesn't mean they still can't have fun together. So, so yeah, there, there was a divorced couples week on Tic Tac Doe. Oh boy. But actually, you know what? Another person who showed up on Tic Tac Doe, and this was maybe a year or even less than a year before he made his big break. Mark DiCarlo, right before he hosted Studs, he was a contestant on Tic-Tac-Doe. Yeah, because wasn't he on Sale of the Century? Yeah, he was like one of the biggest winners on Sale of the Century, but he was a contestant on Tic-Tac-Doe like literally months before Studs got on the air, and he didn't even win his game. So he, yeah, well, he, he couldn't carry that sale of the century luck with him. Plus also, you know, tic-tac-toe is a game of luck, especially when you have the randomizer choosing the categories. 
and especially if you're in control of those that randomizer. So, you know, things just didn't work in his favor, but actually things did work for, out for him a little bit later in 1991-ish. So just a little interesting side note there. And another thing we need to mention, we talked about Divorce Week and how much of a cluster muck that was. We haven't even talked about who did the music for this show. Oh, yes. The legendary Henry Mancini. That's right. The guy who did the Pink Panther theme did this. The guy who did the New Heart theme did this. A legend. I mean, yeah, you said Peter Gunn, New Heart. He's a legend. And the thing is, I think he died like two or three years later. This might have been the final show he did music for. And boy, he really didn't go out on a high note. No. The guy who did the theme song to the NBC mystery movie did this. That's right. He did do the theme to the NBC mystery movie. His last credit was in 1992. Something called Julie, which was created by Blake Edwards, Ruthie Schatz, and Irving Schatz, and starring Julie Andrews. It lasted all of seven episodes. So this is his second to last theme. But yeah, if you go through his credits here, Peter Gunn, what's happening? We didn't mention what's happening. He did what's oh, happening? Yeah. He wait, did what's wait, happening. Wait. And, and what's happening now, yeah. Yeah, that, that was Henry Mancini. I totally forgot about that. And we said Newhart. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe It or Not. Uh, one of our favorites. We're never going to cover it, but we cannot get enough of Jack Palance and Ripley's Believe It or Not from the 80s. Just because, you know, he, he, he sold the... Uh, that aftershave by Menon. By Menon. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a legend when it comes to the themes, but this is like, I mean, everybody has a bad moment. Let's just say that. For every like high moment we have in life, there's one thing that we live to regret. This is that for him. For every, you know, good show, for, for every Peter Gunn. And Ripley's Believe It or Not, and New Heart, and What's Happening, and Pink Panther. There's got to be a Tic Tac Doe 90. I mean, everybody's had a bad show. Think of all the people we've talked about on this show that we absolutely love. McLean Stevenson, for example. For every good show he had, for every MASH, he had everything but MASH. Condo, McLean Stevenson show, and Dirty Dancing, and Hello Larry. Yeah. So it happens. Not everything's going to be superb. We're going to have some busts in there. All right. Now I think we can uh, wrap up the uh, tic-tac-toe uh, in 1990. I don't think there's anything else we need to say about that because, honestly, the lesser the better. It was the lesser, the better. atrocious. And I mentioned in the Joker's Wild 1990 episode, tic-tac-toe 90 aired here at like 4 in the morning. It was paired up with Quiz Kids Challenge at 4.30 in the morning. Not a good sign. I'm sorry. Yes, I know there's insomniacs. Yes, I know there's early birds or night owls. But if your show gets placed at 4 in the morning, maybe it's just best if you didn't have a show at all. 
But hey, there's one more thing we need to talk about. And this didn't air, but just in the last few years, a tic-tac-toe pilot was made. And hosting that pilot, somebody who knows a little bit about X's and O's, Tom Bergeron. The game itself, I mean, it's tic-tac-toe. You can't really screw up tic-tac-toe. It's, it's tic-tac-toe with trivia. You can't really screw that up that much. The mascot, though, they had this very sassy dragon, and they had the dragon trying to interact with uh, Tom Bergeron. Just didn't do anything for me. And they changed the end game. It, it wasn't like how... Uh, the end game used to be with either, you know, get to a thousand dollars or find the tick in the tech, you get the dough, or even the whole dragon finder thing uh, from uh, the 1990 version. It was just answering questions, trying to make a tic tac toe. And he had to do it, I think, in like 60 seconds or so. But there's also like the risk of finding the dragon, which took all your money. Or, it, it wasn't really that great. They tried, but maybe it's just one of those relics that just unfortunately needs to to just rest, to, to, to be kept under wraps. Because I don't know if necessarily a tic-tac-toe can work ever again, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And, and by no means am I advocating for no Hollywood squares. I think there are two different beasts, and it's the star quality that you're looking for on... Highwood Square is not the tic-tac-toe game itself. Oh, another thing I'm noticing right now about Henry Mancini, he composed the viewer mail theme on Late Night with David Letterman. That's right, he did. In fact, I have a cover version of the Henry Mancini version of the viewer mail theme from Late Night with David Letterman. I believe, friend of the show, Adam Needham posted it a while back, and I actually ended up buying it on iTunes. It's from the album James Galway's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. So, yes, I have in my Apple Music Library a cover version of the Henry Mancini Late Night with David Letterman viewer mail theme. It was well worth the $1.29 I purchased for it. It sounds like something from Adventures of the Gummy Bears. If you ever hear it, I swear to God, it sounds like something from Adventures of the Gummy Bears. Well, I think that's all we've got for this episode. Uh, if anybody has anything else you want to chime in with. All I can say is that dragon had Tiffany Haddish energy. You're talking about the Tom Bergeron pilot, obviously. Yes. You're not talking about 1990. There, there was no Tiffany Haddish there. That, that was just no. straight up. Well, I want to say straight up rap, but straight up crap. Rap Gosh. is crap. As the late philosopher Kurt Henning once said, rap is crap. He's just been listening to the wrong acts. That's all. Well, don't forget this episode, plus the previous 341 entries are available at itwasathingontv.com. And also, don't forget, our live shows are there and the mini-shows, anything that we put out. We put out darn close to 450 different things, believe it or not. And also, don't forget, we're on YouTube. 
like, subscribe, hit the notification bell in order to stay up to date with uh, everything that we add to our channel. And of course, don't forget the social media. We have uh, Twitter. We have Instagram. We have uh, Mastodon. Greg, yes. Mastodon that Greg's mentioned. Yeah. Do you want to plug that? I don't know the exact address for that. You yeah. do, though. Yeah, you could search if you're on Mastodon at it was a thing on TV. We're on the instance TV watch dot party. So at it was a thing on TV at TV watch dot party. I don't know what that means. If you're on Mastodon, you do and you'll find us easily there. And obviously, also, don't forget, we're on Facebook there. We're called it was a thing on TV podcast. This week, uh, unfortunately, we only have the one episode because, as is the case around here, sometimes real life gets in the way. And this is one of those instances. So we are going to give you a live show later this week. So that'll fill in the gap a little bit. But next week. Oh, next week, we're going to do another listener request because we love hearing from people who listen to our podcast. And this one, this one goes back. 50 years and actually has uh, as star one of our favorites. And I do believe this has been rerun in the not so distant past on uh, a certain TV channel. Yes. So we're going to talk about that short lived show, but also what the hell is this show about? Let me just say this for the first time ever on this podcast. It gives us an excuse to talk about Allison Hannigan. Well, actually, no. The second time it gives us an excuse because we did the How I Met Your Mother Super Bowl episode. But this is the first time on a show proper we get a chance to talk about her. Yes, Allison Hannigan, one of three kids who lives with a divorced father and an au pair who happens to be a witch. What? Okay, I, I say this as the person who pays the bills. We can talk about Allison Hannigan whenever you want. There is no excuse to be like, oh, well, we need to have a reason to talk about Allison Hannigan. We could talk about her right now. We could say she was on Tic Tac Doe in 1990 as a teenager, and I'd have no issues with that, even though she never was on Tic Tac Doe. So there is no reason to make excuses about talking about Allison Hannigan. Just go right ahead. Well, we will next week. On it was a thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. As always, please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Two hours later. Meanwhile, Jacksonville can set their sights likely on Kansas City. Here we go for the win. Got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field. But there's a penalty marker. And they call it on the defense. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that is unbelievable. Great effing job, Al, on that call with all the enthusiasm as watching a janitor mop before at McDonald's at 3 a.m. in the morning.